0: hey friends welcome to the Unhindered podcast again i thought i may have had this episode out this time last week but as it turned out uh, my daughter had set up an interview on warwick schiller's podcast for me Uh, now warwick for those of you who don't know he's an australian who moved to the us to pursue uh, his horse training career he he is an elite world-class trainer of horses but also trainer of people he has a very holistic approach to horsemanship and the equestrian skill set and uh, he's written a book, uh, The Principles of Training, which is widely regarded as groundbreaking in his field. His YouTube videos have had over 20 million views, um, so it's kind of a big deal. Uh, Amity had kind of reached out, she's been following him for some time, a bit of a hero of hers and he, he loves the personal development space and often has guests on his show, that uh, just don't come don't come with horse training expertise, but but human expertise. And so, anyway, long story short, I was on his show last Tuesday. A two-hour conversation that rates as one of, if not uh, the best interview I've ever had. Just the quality of the questions and just the the depth of this man. And it's not often do you get you get interviewed by someone with a really authentic spirituality and a real genuine humanity that has pervaded everything he does so he asked me questions i've never been asked before on any podcast uh, but when i was done uh, all of the allotted energy i had saved up for that day had been used uh, it was an extraordinary amount of energy that came out of me sharing and speaking about things that i hadn't ever addressed in that way before and just the intensity of that conversation and the richness of that experience um, i was done for the rest of the day which really surprised me, but I I loved that as well. It just added to the meaning of the experience for me and made it even more special, the fact that it had taken so much from me. I I feel like it's going to be a really beautiful one to listen to when it comes out soon. Uh, So that was a real high, now to a real low. You, You may have heard a podcast episode I did perhaps a month ago, maybe six weeks, just talking about my tattoos, power and grace. Um, that idea that you, know, you actually don't need a miracle, when you feel like you need a miracle that's because you've misunderstood what power really is. When you're looking for grace, you're looking for someone to rescue, you're looking for some divine intervention, you really have misunderstood what you're sitting on. So you, don't, you, you never actually need a miracle, all you need is to realize you already are miraculous, that there is an extraordinary provision of grace already available in every aspect of your life and the life that surrounds you if you'll just see it and be open to it and receive it and position yourself to receive what's already going on anyway that was such an important distinction for me and for lots of others that i decided to record an instagram um, facebook linkedin video on the subject so i was down in bateman's bay sitting on the beach no shoes on i had the video sat up against a rock Um, facing me and I was sitting with my knees bent up toward my chest so that my tattoos on my bare shins were visible. Um, What I wasn't aware of at the time is what was also visible was my genitalia packed into my jean shorts and look... I don't know how else to say it other than that was the most prominent thing when people clicked on that video. So here's me thinking, I've nailed it. That was a beautiful video, loved it. Really spoke precisely, shared the essence of the power and grace message, um, uploaded it. And then I had lunch with a friend, so didn't check my phone. And then on the drive home, there's very limited service. So I'm thinking I'm, I've just done something really beautiful for the world. As soon as I get home or as soon as I get past the the black spot of service and my phone starts buzzing and all these messages from my friends first and foremost who had thought it the most hilarious thing they'd seen in some time, bloody perverts, highlighting, screenshotting, resharing, commenting on my junk. And then Catherine's friends started the message and then Catherine called me and anyway long story short that video is no longer available on the internet all that exists are the screenshots my friends possess so if you missed it well you missed it and if you saw it i'm sorry i didn't mean it to be so rude but anyway power and grace is still true you don't need a miracle you already are a miracle now what i'm reading at the moment just to change subject and might need a moment to regroup from that but to change subjects what i'm reading well precisely what i'm listening to as an audiobook uh, is the immortality key the secret history of the religion with no name i'm not sure how this book came into my awareness but perhaps uh, audible suggested it to me nevertheless I downloaded it recently and began to listen um and it's brilliant, it is It is quite staggering, and it it kind of it brings together a lot of the stuff I've been thinking about, psychedelic drugs and psilocybin in particular, and presents it in a really extraordinary way. Um, in particular, it, it kind of builds on the work of The, the Road to Eleusis, which was written in the, the 1970s or 80s, which kind of talks about the idea that... Um, The city of Eleusis in Greece was the center of a a temple that uh, held the rites for a a psychedelic potion given to initiates. There was a 12-month period process of preparing oneself to become initiated into an experience uh, of taking a a special potion laced with psychedelics and um, initiated into a way of seeing and being the world. That was transformational. Uh, often, people only do that once, but once was enough to radically alter their worldview and connect them with the mysteries of the cosmos in a way that uh, changed everything about how they saw the world. Um, now, this this book presents the case. It builds on that because it presents the case that uh, you know the the universal birthplace of religion uh, has always been the psychedelic experience. Has always been. the the trip into the the mystical experience of the cosmos and then uh, organized religion has sought to codify and control and organize the the fire the magic that uh, was freely experienced and able to be experienced by all and so you know there's no uh, there's no denying that the earliest forms of Christianity when it became organized off the back of Constantine making Christianity the state religion. So, going from a, a sect, a Jewish sect, a fringe sect, being persecuted, Christians were being thrown to the lions for the entertainment of the Roman audience in the Colosseums. Um, Colos, um, uh, Constantine had an experience, had a dream where uh, before going into battle, he dreamed of a, a fiery cross. Uh, on a cloud woke up in the morning and questioned his servants uh, to who worships the god of the cross And so someone knew it was the christians and so they brought in some christian leader and quizzed them about it and constantine had said well look um if i pray to your god and we win the battle tomorrow well that's going to go well for you and that's what happened they won the battle and so constantine uh, decided that okay there must be something to this god of the cross this god of the christians and so Um, not only embraced Christianity himself but then made Christianity the official religion of Rome Um, and so overnight now it became before it was illegal to be a Christian then overnight it became illegal to not be a Christian and so all of a sudden it was the Christians who now had the power so all the pagans were chucked out of their temples the temples were converted into places of worship and uh, the Christians were in they were the in crowd and uh, you know that marks the start of some pretty dark times for western civilization in terms of the destruction of art and culture and literature uh, throughout uh, the western world but anyway all that to say you know there's no um, discrepancy around the the nature of the controlling organization that that happened you know in the early church years the early christian church years i don't know enough about the the muslim islam religion to speak with any intelligence about how that was organized but this book kind of presents the case that uh, that the the roots the mystic experience the transcendent experience facilitated by psilocybin was at the heart of the birthplace of these religions so make of that what you will but uh there is an extraordinary amount of research which has been really hidden, very hard to find, very obscure, and you know I think um, Ronald Reagan, Ronald and Nancy Reagan, when they came to power uh, in the eighties, eighties, seventies, who can say? I'm sure, I'm sure the listeners will know uh, when they went really hard on on drugs. You know, it was a time when um, cocaine. And heroin, heroin was coming into the country from Colombia, uh, Central America, South America and to stamp it out they really went hardcore on all forms of drugs and so prior to that there'd been an extraordinary amount of research being done around psychedelics and the, the use of them and you know some of the the flower power hippie movements in the 60s really embraced that and really opened themselves to the experiences that psychedelics could fit could could give them whoever the war on drugs put the kibosh on all of that made it all illegal drove it all underground removed all funding to any research around psychedelics or their value or their history or how they've been part of the, the foundations of western civilization until perhaps 15 or 20 years ago when um, laws started to relax and research could be begun again uh, but there is an extraordinary amount of research done into both the history and and uh, effectiveness of psychedelics and the john hopkins research for psychedelics and uh, consciousness is really leading the way in uh, understanding the the great power psychedelics have especially when it comes to therapy and so some there's of a there's a beautiful TED talk which I'll, I'll include in the notes around this, just talking about um, you know, a really monitored experiences of psilocybin being given to uh, people suffering uh, with cancer or mental illness or some ailments and just exploring the impact of that. And so, the research says that 80% of participants in these studies rate the psychedelic experience as the top five most meaningful experiences of their entire life and 50 percent put it as the number one the most profound meaningful experience of their entire life just that one experience that one full dose of psilocybin Uh, that's that's pretty extraordinary and then more extraordinary is just the history of that of the psychedelic world now this book um the immortality key makes a case to say that the greek fathers so the you know socrates plato aristotle marcus aurelius the stoics and um, just those uh, you know the wisdom characters of greek history and philosophy who who have been credited with so much of the way we think about the world today and ourselves that psychedelic experiences were a central part of their wisdom experience as well so here we have these rational stoic men esteemed as clear thinkers who are high on drugs now look you can read the book for yourself i'm not here to preach a message around psychedelics or i'm just telling you what i'm reading and how it's impacting me because um here's what i think um, i i believe that you know back to the power and grace message if you can get the image of my crutch out of your mind while hearing those two words good for you if you can't i apologize but i think about psilocybin as part of the grace part of the provision within the makeup of the planet we inhabit there is a naturally occurring substance which melts away ego which dissolves the gap between the human and the non-human, the the secular and the sacred that connects us to the cosmos. There is a naturally occurring substance which does that. That, to me, is extraordinary. Now, I also don't think it's, it's magic, and I don't think it's an essential part of the human experience, because um, you know, I have done a full-dose LSD trip a couple of years ago, and it was extraordinary. But if I think about the trajectory I've taken and, and how I have processed my most important growth steps, you know, 95%, 96 97% of all the major growth and development I've worked through in my life has been done sober, not, not in that experience. The one full-dose experience I had of LSD was extraordinary was absolutely spectacular and a deeply spiritual experience where following the instructions you know um, eight hours of classical music downloaded on a playlist and I'm on laying down two tabs so full dose um, three hours in I can't tell whether I'm listening to the music whether I'm feeling the music or if I am the music and then for the next hour i'm caught up in this idea that i am both the music and god is the music i own the music and god is the music and that phrase seems to connect all my past present and future and make sense of my whole experience and and as i come out of that i feel like wow, well, if i am the music and god is the music well this vessel my body my mind my heart is is being honed to house that music to play that music and there is a really beautiful music that plays in me through me a music around being a good human being and so that experience refined that in me it strengthened that in me and it accelerated that in me um i i hazard to guess that i would have got there that same realization anyway uh, eventually so to me it just sped up and magnified what was already happening because it wasn't like uh, all of that was a great deviation from where i was coming from anyway but it was glorious and i and i think i'll have another experience of that in the near future And I'm certain that I'll facilitate other people having experiences. So if you're wondering about uh, how to have a safe experience of LSD, psilocybin, mushrooms, and I'm not too sure about ayahuasca, uh, but let's just stick with psilocybin. I I am convinced and certain that, that I will facilitate those experiences in a safe space because it is possible to be safe. Um... I'm not sure what your level of comfort is with the psychedelic drug world, uh, but to me, the only danger is how you come to, how you approach the experience, and to be right, there is danger. Um, however, everything that is powerful is also dangerous at the same time. The sun uh, is an extraordinary dangerous thing; it will kill you if you let it. Uh, very powerful, we we use it, we harness its energy to great effect. We could not survive without it. Sure, it'll still kill you though, if you're not careful. Uh, water, the same. Uh, very powerful, we harness water to great effect. We use it, we swim on it, we sail on it, we send parcels across the ocean, we drink it, we use it to generate electricity. Uh, but if you're not careful, it'll kill you electricity the same many people died in the creating of that technology if you don't know how to harness it it'll kill you so yeah psychedelics are dangerous sure great so what um, there's, there's nothing surprising about that the responsibility each of us have is to bring ourselves um, uh, resolved of of insecurity and ego so safety is guaranteed by being responsible for how you approach, how you come into the experience. If you have unresolved ego, if you are racked with anxiety and insecurity, if you're looking to escape, if you are looking for a, a high without any responsibility, if you're looking to be reckless, well, you could get caught in the belly of a serpent for hours and be thrown to and fro and be tormented for the rest of your life. You could be discombobulated you can be knocked off your axis with that experience if you want to play with that fire but if you come secure if if you come whole if you come looking for life if you come leaning into mystery and beauty and wonder if you come seeking god well you will find god those experiences can only lead you to the mysteries of the cosmos my my good friend my very wise friend Greg Bellingham I was talking to him about my desire to facilitate uh, some psychedelic retreats and just I shared with him the TEDx talk the science of psilocybin and it's used to relieve suffering and his comment was it resonates science penetrating the essence of mystical reality we always knew it but had only a mythical language for it and were invalidated by reductionist science modalities which now becoming more inclusive and less dismissive. Here's the kicker though from Greg, it's not that psilocybin is interesting, it's that mystical unity of reality is factual. Psilocybin is just a gateway into that, but it's not the only gateway. It's also really important to state that psilocybin alone does not have the power To fully heal or fully cause a human to transcend their world into the spiritual reality. I've got friends and I listen to plenty of experts who prescribe psilocybin as the one to cure, as the only thing required that you can come to it however and it will do its work. Um, I'm not convinced at all. Because I watch what happens off the other side of that and, and I think people have extraordinary experiences but if you haven't done the work, if you haven't taken responsibility, if you haven't worked at how to be a good human, then you still come out of that having had an experience but with no tools or frameworks or logic to integrate that experience into your actual life. So uh, it's, it's part of the grace, it is not, it is not the complete picture of grace. Tim Ferriss, I mentioned this on a podcast before, his whole approach to overcoming the impact of sexual abuse in his childhood is through the use of psychedelic drugs as his therapy. I'm unconvinced that's going to be enough, And, and hearing him from all reports, I don't think it's been enough. I think it's been useful, and it's helped him process a bunch of stuff, but there's a bunch of stuff that's still unprocessed as a result of that. Uh, speaking of tim Ferriss, i subscribed to his uh his, his weekly email five bullet friday and there was something that caught my eye in and the episode a couple of weeks ago in the newsletter a couple of weeks ago it was an article written by ava I, I think she's only got one name maybe like madonna i don't know ava if you're listening do you have a surname let me know write in give me a call so She uh, titles her article, Not Disappointing Myself, and she begins with a quote from Glennon Doyle. Listen, every time you're given a choice between disappointing someone else and disappointing yourself, your duty is to disappoint that someone else. Your job throughout your entire life is to disappoint as many people as it takes to avoid disappointing yourself. And now this is Ava's commentary on that passage. Last night I woke up at 2:45 a.m. and reread Glennon Doyle and felt so touched by this paragraph. I've written a lot about how I fret about not doing the right thing, how often I succumb to the trap of optimization, the desire to perform for others. And there's something about this framing that rings more true than any other way I've thought about it. Some things in life feel realer than others, more alive. When I follow these things, I feel the most like myself. The animal inside me always knows, but I don't always trust it, because my logical mind wants to analyze and rationalize. It leads me in the wrong direction. Glennon writes that when women write to her asking for advice, she asks them to tell the truest, most beautiful story they can tell about themselves. When I think about that in the context of my own life, everything seems so clear. What's the most beautiful life I can imagine for myself? What's the truest? And am I making the decisions that would get me there? Before I started writing, I had, a million exclu- I had a million excuses for why I shouldn't bother. But I felt the happiest when I was writing. When I was a little girl, I wanted so badly to be an author. When I abandoned that dream, I stifled a part of myself. Now that I'm pursuing it, I feel more alive. Pretty much everything in life is like this. There are some ways you can show up that just feel better. And when you show up for the truest and most beautiful version of your life that you can imagine, you feel excited and alive. So many high achieving people get trapped into obsessing about the external world and neglecting their internal world. When you've been suppressing things for so long, you can't just decide to stop all at once. Learning to listen to yourself takes a long time. I used to think that I always had to justify everything to myself, that I needed to be completely rational. Then I slowly started to realize that my emotional reaction to any situation was often way more accurate than any of my thoughts. Historically, instead of listening to myself, I prefer to control my environment. I plan, I anticipate, I analyze. I get mad at myself when I stuff up. And it works pretty well most of the time, for a lot of things in my life but when it comes to feelings it just doesn't work you can't fake feelings you can't perform your way into the truest most beautiful version of your life because you need to be connected to yourself to even know what that looks like i've known that for a long time but i'm finally starting to live it that's a nice passage some nice writing i appreciate the sentiments but a few things i'd like to point out around that Um, the idea of not disappointing myself is actually central to how I think about my life. I I feel like I am a a really assertive human being uh, and that is not fun or easy very often. And I'm assertive not because I've done an assertiveness course or I like conflict or I love speaking my truth or I've always got to be right. Um, It's just because uh rapport with self is everything it, it is the most important thing without that i don't actually have anything i, I cannot live i cannot function and so if i've got to disappoint myself in order to not disappoint you i actually can't do it so if you ask me to do something and i say yes and i mean no i'm gonna to have to come back and change my mind and, and pull out i'm, I'm gonna to have to live in a way that honors what is best for me whether i like it or not <laughs> um so That's been hard-fought territory, but a beautiful addition to my life, obviously, and and great fruit to that. And so, I I think I'm I'm speaking around this from experience when I say, um, just to have that as an ideal, you know, don't if you're given a choice between disappointing someone else and not and disappointing yourself, your duty is to disappoint that someone else. Your job throughout your entire life is to disappoint as many people as it takes to avoid disappointing yourself. Yeah, good, I like that, I believe it's true. But you cannot just go from being externally referenced to all of a sudden cutting that fuel, soul off, fuel source off. If your whole bread and butter is having people like you, accept you, believe in you, and you belong to them, and you fit in with them, and they applaud you and like you, well, you will get that by pleasing them. You will lose that by disappointing them. And if you have not upgraded to an internal referencing system where you have taken 100% responsibility to be the chief validator in your own life, then that cannot happen. It's impossible. It's a fairy tale. And I think this is what Ava's describing. The, the, The giveaway is the very last line. I've known that for a long time, but I'm finally starting to live it. No, you're not. No, you're not, Ava. That's not how change works. Any language around I'm getting there slowly slowly it takes time I'm learning to It is deceptive language that is not how change happens you must meet your need for significance for connection for love for certainty for variety for contribution and growth those six core needs are just as essential as air if you do not have an internal way of meeting them then you will have an external way of meeting those the point is they must these needs must be met at all times and so it's like driving a car that i don't know the do cars still have both lpg and petrol i feel like that was kind of a 2000 thing or a 90s one of my friends had a car that had both lpg and unleaded in the 90s i don't know if it's still a thing someone will know but you can't run both at the same time you're switching one to the other Uh, this idea of validation the source of validation you are either sourcing it yourself or you are outsourcing to someone else like that is a moment in time that is a line in the sand that is an operating system one has been designed to look for those needs to be met outside the other has been designed to meet those needs internally Now, change can take a long time coming, but it happens in a moment. It happens when you reach the end of your capacity to outsource that. It's too costly. It's too inefficient. It leads to too much suffering. And so once and for all, you deconstruct that setup and you replace it. You replace it with something better, genuinely better. And it works in a way that is genuinely better, which means that upgrade is a less to more transaction and we're always seeking the best plan we're always trying to get the best deal for ourselves so the moment you see a better deal that actually works in the real world you can't go back to the old dysfunctional way even if you wanted to when I watch change in myself and when I watch change my clients, it is always threshold. It is always a moment in time where everything has changed. It's like now I am living in a way that I will not and I cannot disappoint myself. I will disappoint you before I disappoint me. I'm not learning to. I'm not trying. That's just how it is. So the point of what I'm saying is beautiful ideal. Yeah, great. Have that as the aim of your life. To get there though will require you to examine the reason that you have never backed yourself, the reason why you think you need others to like you or approve of you or please you. What are you hiding? What are you compensating for? What are you afraid will happen if they don't give you what you need? What are you afraid will happen if you're on your own with no one saying anything nice? Then you would be left with your own self and your worst opinions about yourself. So until you're willing to confront those opinions, which is the insecurity dilemma, insecurity is your worst opinions about yourself if you until you confront those eradicate them and replace them with more beautiful empowering narratives then you can never afford to live this way i hope that's been useful i'll talk to you again next week